a satisfying trip and, uh, and a safe return. And we pray for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I f- just finished a book this week. It's called uh, When People Are Big and God is Small. When People Are Big and God is Small. And, and I say that, I, I bring that up because of the words to the song that we just sang. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It was a, it was a book about what we need. When we need people, or we think that we need people, God becomes very small. When we understand that what we need is God, then God takes on the proportions that are right to God. And the proportions that are right to God are that He's infinite. He's limitless. He's limitless in space. He's limitless in time. God has no, has no boundaries or, or, or anything like that. God is, is infinite and eternal. When people are too big in our lives, then God becomes, becomes way small. And if God is way small, then we're not living like He intended us to live. I spent a, a little bit of time this week, probably more than I should have, thinking about what you all expect when you come to this place on a Sunday morning. And especially during this time. What do you expect? And I spent a lot of time thinking about what, what I expect that I should say during this time. And inevitably the answer is, tell them about God. Because what people need is to know God. Are you struggling in a relationship? Don't raise your hand. Don't nod. Don't do anything like that. Because you know what? The fact is, you probably are. Without exception. So, what do you need? Well, if my spouse would just, that's what I need. No, that's not what you need. If my friend would just, no, that's not what you need. What we all need is to know our God better, deeper, more fully. We all need to get God right. To know, to know that God can be trusted. That we can depend upon Him. That even though we abandon Him, 
He would never abandon those who belong to him. We need to know God. We need to know him, and that's what the Bible is about. From cover to cover, the Bible is about knowing God. Let's pray, and then we'll read this text, or we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we need you to help us understand this passage that we're going to deal with. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the temptation when you look at the particular passage that we're going to look at today is to think that there's a hero here and that that hero is a human being, but, that, but the hero in the Bible is never a human being. The hero in the Bible is always the Lord our God, the Creator God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the hero. He's always the hero. Always. Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. Let me give you a little context here. The first, these first 11 chapters of Genesis are a testimony to the abandonment of God. They're a testimony as to what happens when people think that, when people believe that we're autonomous. In other words, that we can live independently of God. And, and, and there are at least three disastrous events that occur because of that. And the last event that occurred because of that was the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel occurred where God confused the languages of the people and there was chaos and, and the people were forced to be dispersed. That happened because people didn't get God right. Babel was about people not getting God right. People believing, first of all, that there are multiple gods when we know that God is one, God is a unity. He's a triunity. God is one. They thought that there were many gods. Got one God to take care of their fields, one God to take care of fertility, one God to take care of this, one God to take care of that, one God to protect us, that sort of thing. Many gods, some gods were over this territory, other gods were over this territory, lots of gods. So they got that wrong. But they also thought that they could manipulate God, that they could leverage God. And the way that they leveraged God was, I don't know if you remember or not, but they built this stairway so that God could come down. And when God could come down, He could come to their temple and He could eat the food that they provided and drink the drink that they provided and enjoy the shelter that they provided. And that's not God. God doesn't have those kind of needs. God is God. We have needs. God doesn't have those kind of needs. So they got God wrong. And that created this judgment from God. Now verse 27. There's still a promise intact. A promise that God is going to help us rise above this. Okay, because God is never satisfied with just judgment. There's always mercy in the midst of judgment. God could never be satisfied to leave us. 
in our rebellion. God could never be satisfied without formulating a plan. Formulating a plan to save us, to rescue us. God could never be satisfied with that. Understand, guys, understand that part of God. He's merciful, compassionate, tender-hearted toward sinners. Think, think father of the prodigal. Longingly looking out the window, waiting for his son to come home. Only God doesn't wait. He initiates merciful action. And he does that within the culture that we're going to talk about right now. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. I'm in verse 27 of chapter 11. This is, this is the, a genealogy. This is an account. This connects us, with, connects us with Babel, but it also connects us with the next part of the story. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died. Haran died. In the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans, where they worshipped the moon god. And Abram and Nahar took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. I know all those are names that are confusing and that sort of thing. We'll make sense out of it as we go. Now, sit, now listen to verse 30. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now, understand this, that in that culture, in that particular culture, there wasn't anything so bitterly disappointing as being barren. Very few things would, 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 would bring the kind of despair that being barren brought. So I want you to notice something here. In this genealogy, in this connecting point between Babel and Abram, there's death and there's disappointment. And this is not why God created us. He didn't create us to kill us. He didn't create us to disappoint us. He didn't create us to die in the first place. He created us to live. We die because we abandon Him. But here it is. This culture of death and curse. The curse is alive here. The, cur the curse that's, that's connected to these previous 11 chapters. Sarah was barren. She had no child. Now imagine, imagine the original readers when they read this. The original readers were those who were under Moses who were poised on the promised land. 
poised on the point of the promised land, poised to take over the promised land. Imagine when they read this, the smirk that came to their face. Sarah was barren. Oh, really? Because we know the story, don't we? Boy, please tell me you know the story. Please, please, don't tell me you don't know the story. We have too much biblical illiteracy in this world without, without that characterizing Grace Community Church. Please tell me you know the story. Please tell me that Sarah doesn't stay. Sarai doesn't stay barren. But that God, <laughs> there's lightning in that womb. And that lightning brings life. Judy was barren. It wasn't her fault, it was mine. And then boom! Boom, boom! And then Sid, boom. That's good for you. Did you get that? Or are you somewhere else? Sarah was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. Now, if you're all familiar with the biblical story, you know that the land of Canaan is the promised land. And so, and, and so Terah with his family, they're headed for Canaan. They're headed for the promised land. Now, I'm not sure that Terah knew that this was the promised land, but this was another Eden. A land full of, of, of what, what is that phrase in the Bible? It's not coming to me. Yeah, I got, I got it. A land full of milk and honey, which is a, an expression for an abundant land, a prosperous land, a land that the Bible says God has his eyes on. So they're headed in that direction, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They didn't make it. They stopped short. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so death and disappointment characterized the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We were created for life in Eden. We ended up being expelled. Later on, God calls it vomited out. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. And like I mentioned before, a testimony trying to live life apart from God. Simply refusing to acknowledge Him and His wisdom and His goodness and His grace and His mercy. But I also said before, and I want to remind you again, 
that God could never be satisfied leaving us there. I tell you, you don't know everything about me. You might think that you do because I often tell you stories about myself, but you don't know everything. And one thing you don't know is about the lowest point in my life. When I was strung out on drugs and I couldn't leave the room I was in, And I was a believer. There's no doubt in my mind that I was a believer. But I was strung out and I was in this room and I could not leave. I was, I was, I was a slave to my fear. I was a slave to the drugs. I was a slave to the alcohol. I was a slave to, to all that and more. And I can remember in that condition getting on my knees before God and crying out the most simple but profound prayer I've ever prayed God help and because God didn't want to see me there he intervened And God does not want to see humanity in a condition of abandonment of Him and outside the land of promise. God does not want that. So the first phrase of Genesis chapter 12 is simply amazing. Stabilizing and reassuring. Now the Lord said, The God who spoke the universe into existence, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there was, speaks again. And he's speaking to a man. A man who will come to embody what it means to be blessed by God. Now the Lord said, the Lord spoke, the Lord began this process of revelation. Not revelation as in the end of the Bible, but began revealing Himself. Began revealing Himself because what's our greatest need in life? Our greatest need in life is to know God. God wants us to know Him. And the way that He helps us to know Him is He speaks to people. And He spoke to Abraham. And He didn't just speak to Abraham for Abraham's sake. He spoke to Abraham for our sake. So in the, into this culture of death, into this culture of disappointment, into this culture characterized by curse, because that's what sin deserves, God speaks. And he said to Abram, go. Two commands here. This verse, verse 1, go. Another command is be. Go and be. Go and be. And after he says go, 
he offers some promises. And after he says be, he offers some promises to Abraham, to Abram. I'm going to get that confused all the time. Till, uh, his name doesn't change until later, and I'm going to go back and forth, so forgive me for that. But at this point, he's technically Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go. Your family was on the way to the promised land. I want you to leave your family, leave everything, and go. I want you to go. Listen, I want you to go from your country. I want you to go from your kindred. I want you to go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I want you to go. I want you to root up everything. I want, I want your life to be uprooted, and I want you to go. I want you to go to a place that you've never seen. I want you to go. I want you to leave everything behind as well. I want you to leave behind your inheritance. I want you to leave behind your father's family. I want you to leave behind everything. And I want you to go. Abraham, I want you to go because I want you to trust me. Because I'm going to show you something, Abraham. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you that I can be trusted. I want to show you that I can reverse the curse. I want to show you that I can bless the entire world through you and the nation that's going to spring from you and all the people that inhabit this globe. So he said, go. Go. Go from what's familiar. Go from what's comfortable. Embrace inconvenience. Embrace mystery. Embrace it. Now is God calling you to do that? This is a good time to apply what's said. All right, here's, here's something we know about God from this, from this passage. God, God, is not, God is not hesitant to call us out of our comfortable circumstances into something that's not quite so certain. Okay, you can raise your hand. You can nod your head. Have you ever been there? Let me give you an example, okay? You guys might have to turn here a little bit, okay? Let me give you an example. Simple. It's really simple. Okay, right here. Okay? You go into that operating room. Were you sure that it was going to work out? Of course not. When's the last time you made a decision and you just didn't know? You just didn't know. You didn't have all the facts. Please understand this. Please understand it. we got to know God, right? That's what we need. Well, let me tell you what God likes to do. He likes to upset the apple cart. Not to create chaos in our lives. That's not what He's doing. That's not what He's doing at all. He's not creating chaos in our lives. He's teaching us that we can trust Him. 
Go to the land that I will show you. Then he says this. And I will make of you a great nation. Now understand what's happening here is this is the beginning. This is a new beginning. Just like, just like Noah was a new beginning, this is a new beginning. This is the start of God's plan. This is the start of God's plan of making himself known and redeeming the world. This is, this is where God is telling Abraham, I am going to make you into a great nation. In other words, I am going to... I, this, is, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. Understand this. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. It begins with one man. That man becomes a great family. That family becomes a great nation. And from that nation, we have all kinds of information about God and his dealings. We have, we have, I, I, we have documented proof of how God deals with people as he relates how he deals with this nation. I will make of you a great nation. I will show people how that they ought to live. This was the nation that received the commandments. This is the people who, were, who, who, God, who, who God intended to embody what it means to, to be in a relationship with God and to be blessed by God because of that. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. That should bring to mind Babel. Because at Babel, what they were trying to do is they were trying to make their own name great. And God says, let me take care of that. I will do that. I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. It's actually an imperative in the original. Be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when you pick up the Bible and you turn to Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Jesus Christ, born of Abraham. Someday surrounding the throne of the one true king, and by the way, this is royal language. This is the kind of, of this, these are the kinds of blessings that every king, every ancient Near Eastern king would want the things that God promised to Abraham. But surrounding that throne one day in the presence of the king, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I will bless the world through you, Abram. Wow, that's cool. 
right? If I asked you, how has God blessed you, what would you say? Well, 99 times out of 100, we'd say, well, that brand new car I just got. Or, my kids are healthy. And those are all blessings. But those are all byproducts of the greatest blessing that there is. How has God blessed me? By allowing me to know Him. By allowing me to know Him. Through Jesus. Now I say that to say this. Abram was blessed. He was a blessing to the rest of the world. But he didn't have an easy life. So, verse 4. God said, go. And Abram went. God said, go. Abram went. As the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 70, oh, I got got to be careful here that I don't get too excited. 75 years old. Now, some of those of you who who are getting older think that it's just about over, that I need to lay down and rest. Oh, but that 75 isn't like our 75. He was 75 years old. And a fresh start. Abram took Sarah, his wife. Sarah, his wife. How is Abram going to become a great nation with a barren wife? How is Abram, I'm waiting for an answer, how is Abram going to become a great nation and a blessing to the rest of the world with a barren wife? We need to expand our categories, right? It's not in fertility clinics and stuff like that. Special herbs or anything like that. God is the author of life. And God can bring life where there's deadness. So Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions, they've already been blessed with possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they acquired in Haran, they're blessed. They're, they're blessed in that sense in which we conceive of blessing. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham went from the north part of Canaan to the south part of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. 
at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Okay, lest you think that Abraham lived this charmed life. Now God was going to send, God was going to bring Abram to the land of Canaan and demonstrate there that this could be another Eden. But please notice this, that when he gets there, it's occupied. There are Canaanites in the land. Now the Canaanites were not good. We know that from the story of Noah. The Canaanites were in the land. So God calls this guy whose wife is barren and says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. Then he says, I'm going to send you to a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he gets there and there are some extremely wicked people there who aren't really all that friendly. And we think God's challenging our faith when we wake up with a stomachache. Not you, me. I want you to go to a land you've never seen before. And by the way, there are Canaanites living there. And I want you to lay claim to this land. Because in the future, it's going to belong to you. And the nation that's going to, in a Hebrew way of saying it, the nation that's going to come out of your loins Or the nation that's going to come from your barren wife. And we say, praise God. <laughs> because the circumstances of our lives aren't nearly as difficult. And we know that if God was there for Abram, and truly, certainly, God will be there for His adopted children. Those who are in Christ. Is there anything really that should paralyze us or immobilize us in this life as we seek to please Him Then the Lord appeared to Abram. See, that God does stuff like that, right? Because you know, reading between the lines, you know, Abraham gets there, he sees the lands occupied. There's got to be just a little bit of apprehension. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of apprehension. Maybe a little bit of doubts creeping in. And about that time, when you just wonder what's going on, God shows up. And what I am trying to tell you and working so hard to try to tell you is that when God shows up, that's the best possible scenario. Because we need Him more than we need anything else. God shows up. 
Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. Don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your instincts. Trust me. To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. He worshipped. He worshipped in this hostile land knowing that it was His. That God gave it to Him. That it would belong to His family in the days to come. He worshipped there. So He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to Him. From there He moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched His tent. He didn't turn around and leave because the circumstances weren't favorable. He stayed. He pitched a tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He went through the whole territory, north to south. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And there he called upon the Lord. I told you that story about my lowest point in life because that's what I did. At my lowest point in life, I called on the Lord and the Lord responded because that's the kind of God that He is. He didn't come to me and say, you loser! I'll give you what you deserve. He didn't come to me and say, let's make a deal. You serve me, I'll save you. God doesn't work that way. Abraham called upon God. And that's what God wants from each one of us, whatever our circumstances. Whatever our circumstances, what God is looking for from each one of us every single moment of every single day is for us to call upon Him. That's all He wants. I'm serious. That's all that He wants. That's what He wants. He knows that we can't be perfect. He knows that in and of ourselves we can't live up to His laws and standards. No one has ever been able to do that but besides Jesus. He knows what's in our heart better than we do. He knows what He wants from us. What He longs to hear from us is, Father, I need You. Lord, I need You. How, how I need You. You want to bring a smile to God's face and be blessed today? Say from your heart, Lord, I need You. I need You for this. I need You for that. I need You for this. I need You for that. I need You for everything. I need You. 
You don't have to go to church to say it. Doesn't matter where you're at. I was in a room where the marijuana smoke was pretty thick. Help me. And he did. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now understand that in his lifetime, in his lifetime, Abram never realized himself these promises. What Abraham experienced, though, was the voice and the presence of God. He had a relationship with God, and there's no greater blessing than that. It could be in our lifetime that we never get to the promised land in our lifetime. Because there is a coming promised land. There is a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. There is a new Eden that's coming. Where the struggle will be over. Where the tears will be wiped away. There is a new Eden. There is an unhindered communication, relationship with God, unobstructed by the problems that we have, including the problems in our own heart. I can't even imagine. I don't have a frame of reference for that. But it's going to happen. There is a promised land. And we're headed that way. Just like Abraham saw the promise from afar and kept walking toward it, we see the promise down the road. I mean, how, how, how could Joe and Debbie, how could, they, how could they even be here this morning? Worshiping the Lord, trusting in Him. Having just buried a husband and a son. How could they be here if they didn't believe that there's a resurrection? And I, our resurrection bodies. Oh, I forgot you, Gene. <laughs> You're sitting there too. Our resurrection bodies. We will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth. There is hope. We just need to keep walking toward it. Just keep walking toward it in faith. Just like Abraham walked through the promised land and claimed it by building altars, by pitching tents. We just need to keep walking that way. Just keep walking that way. Just keep walking that way. Just keep walking that way. Every day saying, God help me. God, I need you. God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. And just keep walking and walking and walking until we get there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this passage. And 
Uh, we pray 